Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with one rental at a time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag one rental at a time. Now on with the show. All right. It is Friday. And as you know, on Fridays, we do our Friday financial wrap up with Mr. Michael Zuber. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, man. This was a big week. There's a lot of kind of confirmation, a lot of important things going on. You know, every week has something, but this week, I think this week was um, a clear pivot uh, about what's going on. Winter is here and uh, it's going to be cold and nasty, but uh, yeah. Kind of a good week and a bad week because again we warned people this was coming but now that it's here we know there's lots of people in our network that don't have their winter jacket on and they're gonna they're they're exposed to the elements but we tried to warn them well you've been calling it we've been talking about this for months and months and months that this is going to come we're going to see a shift in the economy i want to just memorialize today is may the 27th 2022 it actually is friday uh memorial day weekend which is the start of summer, typically yeah. the summer season. And yet we are potentially in, we are in what could be the beginning of a winter economic season. Is Absolutely. that, would you agree? Oh, there's no question. Winter, especially if you're in the Silicon Valley, which we both are. I had a CEO of a startup uh, I interviewed yesterday and they're like, funding is drying up, layoffs, burn rate. I would argue that the Silicon Valley is in a recession. It has started. And what does that mean? That means less hiring, more layoffs, uh, less housing transactions, just slower, slower, slower. I don't think the country is in a recession yet. I think one is coming, but it would not shock me if the valley gets really, really negative. Very interesting time. So let's get into some of the financial indicators and financial news. Let's talk about PCE this week. What is PCE and what happened this week? Yeah, PCE stands for personal consumption expenditures. It's one of those economic statistics that come out monthly that really means nothing to most people. However, it is the most important inflation metric of the Fed. So what happened today? Well, first and foremost, it rolled over, right? So it's less high this month than last month. Not materially so, it went from 6.5 to 6.3, but there is hope, and I do stress hope, that inflation has peaked. We won't get confirmation for a couple of months. Uh, I think the odds that inflation heats up or goes higher are at least 50-50. But as we sit here today, the Fed, Jerome Powell and his buddies, probably are like, whew, glad it went a little lower because uh, they need it to. They need us to go a lot lower. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're probably drinking a glass of wine going, all right, so we – it's lower this month than last. Thank goodness. Very interesting. So lower is good news for Jerome Powell and the Fed. At least it gives them a little, a, a little sense of relief that yes, things are moving in the right direction for them. Correct. It, and again, one month is, I don't even think Jerome Powell is calling this a trend yet. I think he's smart enough. I think all of them are smart enough to realize that. But again, it could have gone higher. And then that would continue the trend of every month being higher, which would have been a problem. Uh, so they got one lower. I think they drink a glass of wine and they go, Cool. Let's see what happens next month. Very interesting. So let's talk about retail sales. What did you see with retail sales this week? 
Yeah. So retail sales, we have to kind of bucket into really two categories. First, I think it was Tuesday, retail sales was reported for the market and they were up. Uh, I think it was 8%, it might've been seven something, but again, higher than expected, which, which you will hear the media say the consumer is strong. The consumer is strong. I've often said we're in the K-shaped summer, uh, kind of going back to the K-shaped recovery we talked about a year ago. Again, go back and look at Ty's playlist. It's all there. I think it continues. And how, how did that get validated? Well, first and foremost, uh, we saw Walmart and Target post atrocious numbers. Then we see Macy's and Nordstrom post great numbers. So what is essentially happening is the well-to-do are shopping. The lower income are removing discretionary and they're trading down. How do we know that? Walmart and Target struggle, Dollar Tree, Dollar General up, right? People are trading down, less discretionary items. Again, I think the economy is sick. However, after studying the economy and consumers forever, what people don't really understand is about 30% of US consumers make up about 75% of consumer spending or consumer discretionary spending. And in the K-shaped recovery, those people spend. And based on Nordstrom and Macy's and United Airlines and all of these other travels, they're spending. They're buying luggage. They're buying sunscreen. They're buying bathing. Right? They're doing experience-based stuff. But the lion's share of people, right? the percentage of our population, they're truly struggling because inflation is a regressive tax and food is up, gas is up. There's a hard, dis- and again, I was in this for a decade of my life. I have scars from my childhood of watching my parents decide, are we going to pay for the phone? Or are we going to buy food? Are we, I was a weekend away from being foreclosed as like a 10 or 11 year old. I remember packing up because we were going to have to leave to go move in with our grandparents. This time sucks for most, if not a lot of Americans. And it, it, it hurts, man. It hurts. I, I, I want to just say, Michael, thank you for sharing that, that, you know, your own life experience and, and really how significant it is that you talk about the, you've talked about the K shape. In fact, I had never even heard of the K-shaped recovery or a K-shaped economy, but it makes sense. Explain the K-shape just in a little bit more detail so people really get what you just said. Yeah, so essentially what right, everybody's looking, are we in a V-shaped recovery, an L, a Nike swoosh, and all of that? And what we talked about years ago is it's kind of the have and the have-nots. If, if you are a white-collar job and this, that, and the other, your, your income far exceeds your necessary spending, you're doing okay. And oh, by the way, the government gave you some money. So you saved some, you're doing okay. You're, go, you're buying the plane trips. You're going on a vacation to Europe because you're just so tired of being at home. But there's a lot of people who don't have discretion. Like, again, I don't remember the stats. I read them months ago. I think 50% of our population can't make up a $400 emergency expense. And now you add on $6 gas and you know, $5 eggs or whatever they are, dude, this is not okay. There are so many people hurting. So again, if you're on the top end of the K, doesn't matter. You're on the bottom end of the K, life is hard and unfortunately probably getting harder. Very interesting times, Michael. Um, let's talk about consumer sentiment. 
What's yes. going on there? What do you see? So over the weekend, I always kind of do a week ahead view and consumer sentiment was the number one important metric over pending sales and new home sales because I was afraid that this number was going to collapse. Consumer sentiment has always, or at least historically been a leading indicator because again, consumer sentiment is how do I feel? Retail sales, for example, that came out on Tuesday is what am I actually doing? And whether you like it or not, Consumers can feel one way, but we shop anyway, right? That's why we're 68% of the economy. However, I believe, I believed last weekend, and it's on my channel, you can go back and watch it, that consumer sentiment was going to be an ugly number. And it's even uglier than I thought it would. I thought it would be really ugly, and it's really, really, really ugly. It went down 10, I want to get it right, 10.4% month on month. That is a gigantic drop. And what that means and I said it last weekend, I believe, is I think this might be the month where the consumer broke. And with the consumer number down that much, I think it broke. I think we are frustrated. I think we are stressed out. I think we are uh, we're at our wits end. And when that happens, consumers retreat. And it's hard to think that we're going to retreat more than we have. Right? We've been home, locked up for two, two years or whatever. Maybe locked up is not the right word, but restricted. And now we are freaked out. I said earlier that I thought the Silicon Valley was in a recession. I think we are. I think this consumer sentiment numbers points to the rest of the country joining that party in the near future. Consumers are 68% of the company or uh, economy, and they're not happy. I, and they're not happy. And, and, and a cranky, scared consumer, not good for politicians, right? We have an election in November. I would hate to be an incumbent coming up. I mean, it doesn't matter what side you're on. They're going to be pissed off at you. Um, it, they're not going to, discretionary shopping is going to go down. It's just our economy. This, this is closest to the 1970s. 1970s was a horrible decade. It was stagflation, recession, double dip recessions. It's just a horrible, horrible, horrible decade. I've been through recessions. They're years. They're 18 months. This feels like we're set up to have a rough, three, four, five years. It doesn't make, doesn't make me feel good to say that, but man, consumer sentiment. I expected a bad number tie. This is a horrible number. Wow. Michael, that's significant. Um, we're gonna, that is significant. Those are significant numbers, Michael, that you just shared. And I think we're going to talk about housing right now, home yeah. sales. But I think what we do is at the end, we recap Sure. So that the audience really has an understanding. What does this all mean? Mm -hmm. How do you anticipate? How do yep. you navigate this summer season? If you're a real estate investor, if you're new, trying to get in the market, yeah, we're going to talk about how to navigate at the end. So let's transition. What happened this week in new home sales, Michael? Well, again, new, again, I love the fact that I called these early. So last, last weekend, I said new home sales were going to be down. Again, they surprised even my negative expectations. Uh, they were expected to have a run rate of 750,000. I think they came in at 592. So it was a 20% miss. Uh, transactions are slowing down, right? You and I've talked, I've been talking about for six months, the real estate slowdown is coming and gosh, so many people thought I was stupid. And it's like, guys, I'm looking around the corner, right? You're looking at tomorrow. I'm looking like at the future and it was easy to predict it's here now. All right. And I think it gets worse from here. We have seen true demand destruction. Right. I am talking to builders and brokers who have had up to 50% of their approved buyers no longer approved. 
right? So demand tie has always been a two-step function. It is a willingness and a capacity. What does that mean for new home construction? Capacity means you get a yes answer. We have seen, again, a couple of builders I spoke with saw 50% of the people that were approved 100 days ago get declined today. That's how fast rates have moved. And then the second is, or that is the second, the first one is interest. They have had some buyers, uh, estimate is 10 to 15%, go, I'm afraid of my job. I don't want to do this now. I was excited in January. I'm not excited in May. People are retreating from the market. Consumer sentiment we just talked about is so negative. There are less and less people that want to sign up for a multi-hundred thousand dollar mortgage when they are this freaked out. So but like new home builders, you better slow your ass down because there's going to be less and less buyers. And then the other crazy thing, Ty, which just drives people crazy is transactions went down 20% below. But guess what happened to the median price? It went up 20%. People don't understand. We have lost the low end. The rich, the well-to-do, they're still buying. So they're dragging the median home price up. We have lost the low end. And the low end is getting lost more and more every day. Um, that's back to we're in a tough time. You, you sum it up so well, Michael. And it's true that it always, it goes back to the whole concept of K-shape. People that are doing well are doing even better. People that are not doing well are doing worse and probably going to continue to struggle as we move forward into this winter season in our summer season. So let's talk about, let's bring it home. Let's talk about existing home sales. What did you see this week? And then we're going to finish with back to the anticipation. Absolutely. What is our audience? How do you navigate going forward in the summer market? Mm -hmm. Existing yeah. home sales. Yeah, so a, a number came out this morning, um, pending home sales. Uh, you got to remember, right? If you're in housing, there are really two things, right? Uh, new home construction is always, you know, between 600 and 700,000. It's about 10% of total transactions, right? All right, so pending home sales is interesting because that tells you again, what's going on right now. And we are clearly seeing a national housing slowdown, right? Everybody has their own buy box, their own market. So you do you, I'm talking nationally here. Uh, we have seen an acceleration of listings. Uh, according to Redfin, over the last four weeks, listings have accelerated 2x, 100%. In my market of Fresno, California, my box, buy box, we went from 500 to 1,000 seemingly overnight. I think it was three or four weeks. Right, So stuff is going up. Now, we're still below historic trends. Uh, we are seeing price cuts like we haven't seen in years. Right, They're up pretty significantly. Uh, we now see FOMO from sellers which is crazy to think about, right? Like 60 days ago, it was FOMO from buyers. Now it's FOMO from sellers. So again, the housing market is broken. And um, you know we have a lot of wish pricing, which leads to price drops. Uh, we have a lot of lock-in. It's just, I mean, it doesn't feel good to say, but I think transactions fall 25%. And I think real estate agents work harder than they've ever worked before because uh, it's going to be hard to kind of tie all these things together. So pending home sales, really existing home sales, you're going to go from roughly 6 million last year to, I don't know, four, five, four, eight, somewhere in there. And we're still going to do lots of deals, right? We're still going to do the people up the stack. Uh, it's just going to be tough, right? The, the, the first time home buyer tie usually made up 40% of a market, right? You go back to 2018, 19. Given where we are with affordability, the last numbers came in at 19%. We have lost the front end. That is really tough to say, uh, but that's certainly where we are at. So, 
again, housing slowdown is real. We've called it, we've talked about it for months. It is now here. Lots of agents, especially in Silicon Valley, LA, were like, no guys, you don't know what you're talking about. How do you like me now? Uh, I hope you were preparing. 100%. I can say firsthand being on the front lines, I'm seeing price reductions. I'm seeing properties soften in price. It's interesting too, you mentioned the wish pricing. And that's a whole interesting concept that somebody's wishing a seller bringing their home to market, a very mediocre, not a bad house, but an average house. Yeah. And trying to get that premium price that was available back in January exactly. or maybe in the fourth quarter last year, exactly. that's just not happening for properties that are very average. And we are seeing price reductions. So of course you should. So Michael, let's talk about anticipation. So yes. What does this all mean for the audience? What do yeah. you think in terms of a couple of different people in the audience? Yeah. We've got the one rental at a time person who's just getting started. Maybe they have their first rental. Maybe they're getting ready. They've been mm -hmm. working. They've been working on their buy box. We have that audience part portion. We also have the real estate professionals. Yeah. People that are a part of foundation builders and Evo mm -hmm. people that are maybe, you know, a little nervous about, Hey, less transactions. How do I navigate the waters? Let's speak to them. How do they anticipate? How do they work through this summer season? Yeah. So I'm actually going to break it down two different ways. I'm going to break it down as buyers and then uh, realtors, brokers, mortgage, like people serving those. Yeah. Because I actually did a live stream this morning at 7am. I don't normally do this, but I was talking to owner occupants because for the last couple of months, I've been telling investors, get excited. This is the time. It's finally right? We don't have to compete. We don't have to make decisions in seven seconds, seven seconds, right? Days on market, up, listings up, choices. I'm now adding owner occupants. I actually said this morning, it doesn't work in all markets. It doesn't work in all buy boxes because if you have to buy on that street or that area, you got to, you got to, you only can choose what's there. But for a lot of buyers, and this is investors or owner, if you're saying, Hey, Michael, I want to buy in this city. I don't really care what street it's on, but this is my city. And Michael, I don't care if I buy in May or November, which means you have time. What I would tell all buyers to do today, Ty, is stop doing what I did for two years. For two years, I looked at the, uh, I only looked at first day listings. I was trying to find, I was trying to be first every time. And I think a lot of investors are doing that. What I have now done is I am no longer looking at first day listings because I know some of the listings that come out are the perfect house on the perfect street priced perfectly that are going to sell and might sell over. I don't want to see those. I want to find the seller who has held two open houses, who uh, has had no offers and the listings 15 days. Now in your market, it might be 20, 25. I don't know. My days are 15. I'm still now only looking at listings that are 15 days old. Why? Because I don't need to buy every house. I need to buy one house. I want to buy from a motivated seller. I want to buy from a seller that's like, damn, I listed my house at $399. I got nothing because I'm going to come in. I'm going to know my numbers and I'm going to know a great deal is $369. And I'm going to write my offer at $362 and see what happens. The seller might say, no, nobody understands. My house is $399. It's special. I'm going to take it off the market. Great. No harm, no foul. You're not really a seller. Others are going to go, you know what? We haven't got any offers for a while. My agent's been whispering in my ear that 399 was kind of a stretch. Why don't we counter at 385? 
well, now we're in discussions. Now I know you're motivated. Maybe I'll come up to 364 or whatever the numbers are. So what I would tell all buyers to do today is stop doing what I was doing last year, which is responding to first day listings. Let that stuff age out. Let that go a couple of weekends. And let's only fish for motivated sellers when days on market are over 15 or it's 20 or whatever. Maybe it's 10 for you. I don't know your market. But that's something I have changed in my business in the last month is I am only looking at stuff that ages because I don't want to compete with everybody else on the first days anymore. I want because I don't care which house I buy. Do I care if it's on Brown Street or Tyler Street or Platt? I don't really care. I want to buy a great deal. So I'm going to fish where I can find motivation. So that's the first thing I would do. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. Yeah, no, it's spot on. It makes sense. And the same thing when I'm looking at buy boxes now, I'm looking at 24 days on the market and exactly. price reductions. So I Fish completely there. agree with you. Fish there. So now if you're an agent serving this, you have to realize that the market is shifting. If you're representing buyers, you really have to make sure your buyers are qualified and they're staying engaged. Because again, if you're going to be spending weekends and showing them stuff and they get a yes answer, but they don't qualify, right? If their, if their pre-approval letter is more than 30 days old, have the conversation. Uh, just make sure. Maybe they're way overqualified, so it doesn't matter. Maybe they have a huge down payment. It doesn't matter. But have the conversation. The last thing you want to do as an agent is spend 45 days finally getting acceptance, and then they can't qualify. Yeah. Mo cost of money is up ton in a hundred days. So do that work. If you're representing buyers, if you're representing investors, I would tell you to differentiate yourself, call up your investors and tell them, Hey, what if we did this? Cause again, if you're representing investors, I promise most of you, you have searches that auto send to investors. I know you do. I know you do. Why don't you be proactive? Show that you are different. Call your investors and say, what do you think about this? Why don't we also add a search for 30 days old or price? Be pro, show value, be different than everybody else. Because again, there still will be 4 million transactions done. Differentiate yourself. So those are the two things if you're buyers. If you are sellers, you need to have some hard conversations. You need to understand what wish pricing is. And the thing that you really need to understand is, okay, I'm willing to give you wish pricing. The customer's never wrong, blah, 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 blah. But if, Mr. Seller, if, if we are on the market 30 days and we've got bupkis, are you willing to take 10% less? Yep. Are you willing to take 5% less? If the answer is no, let some other schmuck agent get that listing and waste their time. This is not a time to waste on wish pricing that won't reduce. Let somebody else burn the hours and burn the gas and burn the marketing doll. You get paid last. Protect your money, protect your time. Only deal. Again, I don't mind wish pricing because you just need one. But yeah. if they're unwilling after 30 days to come back to reality, let some other schmuck represent that buyer, in my opinion. I, you know what? So spot on, Michael. I couldn't agree with you more. One of my original mentors in sales, he talked about, Always tell the truth and don't be attached to the outcome. Always tell the truth. Don't be attached to the outcome. You said it so well, a hundred percent. We don't have time to work with wishful people who want to sell. We need to work with people who need to sell people. Really the difference between wanting and really needing is the way I would define it. We work with motivated people, people yeah. that really 
are committed to the process. And again, telling the truth about pricing. This is where you need to be price wise in today's market and not be attached. And it's okay. Like you said, I love the fact that you said this to be able to walk away because it's interesting too, is that now even I'm starting to notice people are calling back people that I talked to 45 days ago. They didn't like my opinion about it, but now they're calling me back. Hey, what do you think now? And we're not sure. And, and all of a sudden things are shifting. And I believe the value of somebody who's knowledgeable, somebody who's a real expert and studies the market and knows how to execute, your value goes up. Oh, You're going to be yeah. in more demand. Would you agree, Michael? I believe the real estate agents that, again, it's, for me, it's always setting yourself up to survive and then you thrive. For me, it's always a two-step function. Yep. So again, we've been talking about slowdown, getting ready. Winter is coming. Winter is here, right? We've been warning people. Today, it's about setting yourself up to survive, whatever that means to you and your business. But the people that get through this two years, you will be stronger, better, more bigger network, more referrals. You will be stronger coming out. You will be four, five, six, seven times stronger coming out because a lot of the donkeys and schmucks I just talked about will burn hours, burn gas, burn marketing dollars. And then they're going to go work at Starbucks and be a barista because they don't hack it. Spot on, folks. You heard it here. Thank you, Michael, for all that you do. I just always, the books, One Rental at a Time, Conversations with Real Estate Millionaires. You can find them on Amazon. If you have the book, please go give this man a five-star review on Amazon. And also the course, One Rental at a Time.com. You can find the course. It's absolutely phenomenal. If you're dabbling, this is not the time to dabble. This is not the time to dabble. If you're getting involved and you're a one rental at a time investor or an aspiring one rental at a time investor getting started in this process by the home study course, Michael, thank you for all that you share. Have a great weekend. Thanks, buddy.